Welcome to Size and Whispers, an interview podcast series about cultural history. I'm Lorna Claus Holmes, a fashion and cultural historian. A few days after I interviewed Alan Jones during my trip to the UK in February, which you can listen to in the last episode, I met with some of his closest collaborators. Whitaker Malam are custom leather workers, artisans in the truest sense of the word. I visited Patrick Whitaker and Keir Malam at their much-written-about Dalston home, a shed-to-house-workshop-gallery conversion that is truly a delight. And we chatted all about their over 35 years living, loving, and working together in fashion, art, music, and film. It's more than likely that you're well acquainted with their work, even if the name Whitaker Malam rings no bells. If you've ever watched Die Another Day, The Dark Knight, Hobbs and Shaw, Captain America, Wonder Woman, Troy, or Aquaman, then you've seen Whitaker Malam's expert leatherwork, an integral part of superhero and warrior world building. Those are just a few of their films. They've worked on the costumes for 26 movies, but they didn't even fall into costuming until later in their career. As we discuss in our conversation, both Keir and Patrick moved to London in the early 80s to escape their provincial towns and find themselves as young, gay, creative men. After meeting at a house party and falling in love, they started a working partnership that continues to this day. From London Fashion Week to making custom clothes for pop and rock stars to collaborating on fine art pieces with pop artist Alan Jones to creating runway looks for Alexander McQueen, Hussein Shalane, and Tommy Hilfiger to costuming movies. Whitaker Malam have had a long and varied career, touching on all aspects of underground and mass culture, and creating some of the best-known pop culture moments of the last three decades. Our chat zigzagged through all these aspects of their incredibly multifaceted career, touching also on their inspirations, childhoods, their relationship, home, and creative process. It's a very fun chat, and I think you should find it enjoyable and inspiring. On the website, I've put together a slideshow of images of their work, along with lots of movie clips that feature their costumes, so please head to www.sizewhispers.com to get a visual on what we discuss. Share with your friends, subscribe, and please write a review so that more people can find their way to this podcast. Enjoy. So, where did you grow up? I grew up in Berkshire, in a village, and we we were both born the same year, aren't we? We're only a month apart. Yes. Age-wise. We're both um, 1965 babies. Yeah. I'm very lucky because my mother was a, a, a sculptor. Uh, she was an artist, portraiture and things like that. And um, and the other big influence on me was my uncle, my mother's brother, her younger brother. My, my earliest memory, this is thanks to him, one of my earliest memories is of being on um, Brighton Dump for the filming of Doctor Who with Patrick Troughton in like, God knows, 1969? So I would have been four. Mm-hmm. He was doing the last of the Troughton episodes. I don't know what it was. So I got to meet Patrick Troughton and all the people. You know, and that was a, that was an incredible memory. And so he, 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 my Uncle Roger's been a big influence in my life. And my mother was as well. So I was always encouraged to do model making and stuff like that. I grew up in a town called Lyd. It's, um, it's actually a town, but it's actually tiny. It's more like a village. And that is just behind Dungeness Power Station on the south coast of Kent. And my dad was a scaffolder on the uh, on site. And um, childhood was fairly bland, really. I think uh, didn't really wasn't really encouraged to do anything creatively. And you've often said you were sort of felt you were slightly discouraged. Well, it was always making a mess. I'm making a mess. You know, so it was all a bit like that. I didn't really do anything creative till after I left school, really, um, and moved to London. I came to London. I had to get out of this little town because I was obviously gay. Um, uh, you know, there was no life for me there. 
So uh, I got a place on a hairdressing course at London College of Fashion. Mm -hmm. And so I took myself off to London and that was 1983 and we met in 1986. We did, yeah, yeah. You know... uh... I was lucky because, again, my, my brother taught me ceramics at school, my older brother. I was the youngest of four. And I, so I had a really quite a creative household, very squarely middle class and quite different from Keir's, very different, in fact, mm-hmm. from Keir's background and home life and all the rest of it. I, there was talk of, you know, I was quite interested to get into the film industry, possibly by my uncle's stuff and all the rest of it. And he just told me to, to, to look up what the local courses were, go and do a course for a year or two. This was when I was sort of 15 or something, getting yeah. career advice. Okay. He said, just go and do a course and come back to me and, you know, I'll get you a job as a runner or something like that. And um, and so I thought, looked around and thought, what the local course is? And, um, and then it turned out that the Berkshire College of Art and Design, which is very near where I lived in Maidenhead in, in Berkshire, um, did a fashion course, a two-year fashion course. I said, actually, I quite like the idea of that. And I think really around that time or shortly before that, a big thing that happened for me was seeing Barbarella on a terrestrial late night BBC One about Friday night, 11 o'clock or something. My parents used to go away to this cottage they had in Wales, so I got to be on my own at the weekends. My brothers all just went to the pub and went out because they're much older than me and my sister. And I was allowed to do what I want, really. So I sat, I sat up and watched that and was absolutely blown away by it. I think I was probably 12 and that definitely had a huge effect. And um, actually, uh, interesting, I knew exactly who Baka Ravan was as well, even then. You know, and I remember being staggered that he got credit, because I thought that looks like Baka Ravan. Because I think I had some interest. I, I was just interested well, in and, Yeah, that's very true. I, I, the, the, another huge influence was um, sort of surrogate family that, that we're all part of, which is uh, the Collins family and Elizabeth Collins. So I, they came to the village that we had a caravan in, in the south of France in 1974, they arrived, these Brits, and, and, and to live, they bought the, the chateau. Oh, so, wow. And then the rest is sort of history. They were there f- for a long time, and um, Josh's father had a very had quite interesting company, kind of stuff you'd be interested in, called Goya, which was a, a, a range called Aquamanda that was very uh, widely available, mid to lower price, but very nicely presented and packaged cosmetics and perfumes mm-hmm. and stuff like that. He kind of, in fact, invented what's became known as the Charlie Girl Market, invented okay. it in this country in the 50s and did very, very well. And anyway, the cons knew all sorts of people. So we'd have people like David Hicks come for dinner and da 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 And so, and she had amazing clothes and she was very... Well, she had know, amazing taste, you know. She had great taste. So. She used to design packaging for... For the products, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So again, this is all. Wow, yeah. This is all massively influential on me, and she. Very lucky. I've incredibly lucky. Mm. I mean, incredibly lucky, and they were always incredibly. They've been always. They were always very generous to me, and um, and really, they. Uh, well, we can touch back on it, but really, you know, it's one of the reasons what we're here as Whitaker Mail, and what is is it got a lot to do with that. So yeah, these were all sort of influences and interesting things that are happening, and you know, had uh, 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 you know to be, to be around stuff like that was amazing, even if it was just for summers and things like that. And um, we're still really, really all very, very close. But anyway, so yes, and then the up and down of it is that we met in '86 in July the fifth. I lived in the gay household with three other gay people. Um, we had it was Pride, and we were doing a party. And Paddy was gate crashed with a friend of his who was my flatmate's boyfriend's friend. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's it. 
and that's where we met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was kind of like a bit like love at first sight. I was absolutely wow, you know. And I'd actually never been. I'd done the more traditional thing of being um, involved with an older man and mm-hmm. indoctrinate. You know, indoctrinate. But you know, um, I came to London. Was living in Notting Hill, and he managed a kebab shop on the Earl's Court Road. He's an insane Greek artist who was literally twice my age. Uh, be very very sweet and um, I, I couldn't really comprehend or I'd never encountered a gay household which is not particularly surprising back yeah. then frankly well I had the opposite um, uh, a friend of mine had moved to London the year before me I moved in with him uh, there were five of us in a gay household in Gloucester Road all kind of young yeah going out and being club kids and, you know, dressing up and when just you, having fun. Yeah, when you arrived in London, it felt like freedom it, or relief or yes, whatever. Yes, it was already yeah. made for me, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I was lucky knowing Paul because that was an instant sort of in to, you know. But I didn't come out. I did. I was still sort of, you know, too shy to come out, I guess. But I used to go out with all my friends, you know, to gay clubs. And not just that, there was lots of um, nightclubs then, where people really dressed up, you know, it was the early 80s, uh, you know, Heaven and, you know, had an amazing night called Pyramid, where all the sort of, they were either sort of secretaries that dressed up at night or they were uh, fashion students or art students and stuff, they all went there. So that, I just sort of hooked into that scene straight away. So Paddy was a lot more staid in his sort of... Well, I went to Taboo. You know, I wasn't stayed in terms of going out, yeah. far from it. But um, I was at college and, you know, I was doing the, the, you know, I did two years of fashion at Berkshire and then got on the courses at Martins, which was a big deal back then because it was, it, it became this collegiate that put all the colleges together yeah. and called them Central St Martins, basically. But back then it was just St Martins. There was basically St Martins and Parsons and that was only, they were the mm-hmm. only places to go to do fashion that were like the ones. So, yeah, I was very lucky to get in. Actually, you know, and, and concurrent with that, got to know through the Collins family, really, um, Anthony Price. He's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I'm such a huge fan. We both yeah. are. And he was doing shows at the Camden Palace back then that I went to from my college mm-hmm. in Berkshire. And they were like three-day event things. So he'd have the same, the same show, you know. Yeah. Uh, but they were... It was great because actually they were they weren't quite like those things that that, that Gautier is doing now freak show but they were big, the, 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 it was almost come it was an, an event thing and a party and you know you, it was in a nightclub and settings so you'd have drinks and it, it was ticketed it was ticketed but, but they weren't expensive it was you know, no it was but, really not expensive I remember it costing very little actually and just amazing thing to see and his clothes were extraordinary and I, and for me that was great because I was always. Personally, I was always very under the spell of Pacaraban, Courage, Cardin. They were my favourites. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Moogla came along. And But, you see, I, we had Anthony, who was really, at that stage, was everything that Moogla was, if not more, yeah. in fact, in lots of ways. And, he, he, and he's, when people look back at that high-octane glamour stuff, they forget Anthony, you know, which mm-hmm. is just... It's, it, it, it's criminal, really, and, you know... Rumour has it he very nearly got Versace after he died, but Donatella sort of swept in. But I think he very nearly did, and that would have been extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, he, he would have, have done an amazing yeah. job. But because original Versace, 80, early yeah. Versace, I met Versace on a college trip from Berkshire in Godmers, 1982, wow. three. We went to his atelier, and none of us had heard of him. We're going to Milan, we're going to visit this place called Jenny Versace, his stuff's amazing, so what to be told about Versace? And of course, it was nothing like all that sort of grotesque 
not grotesque, but all that outre, rococo bullshit. It was really futuristic, Mm -hmm. you know. It was kind of very, you know, it was kind of, it was much more like Cardin or or Gianfranco Ferre or those sort of, you know, quite space, quite futuristic silhouettes and, you know, quite graphic things going on and anyway yeah so those were the people that I was interested in and of course what was really going on it was very very against what was going on at college because Galliano just graduated about a year or two before me and I was actually at college with John Flett Mm -hmm. and a few years before Chilean and it was a lot to do with you know I suppose uh, uh you know a lot of historical influences and even the beginning of sort of um deconstruction mm-hmm. within fashion and things having that that you know the influence of I suppose the Japanese designers mm-hmm. on London like well yes but I mean the punk thing and stuff you know not yeah. being particularly glamorous or very high octane or you know the different kind of well I have a different take of that uh, having met him when he was uh, just going into the third year and actually going in and meeting him at college and seeing what his contemporaries were doing, I think they were doing much more sort of big-shouldered, you know, suity, big coats and quite um, definitive late 80s style, really. I think that's what they were doing. Yeah, I guess. guess. I mean, I'm just thinking about what was going on, you know, with with the club culture and what what was fashionable at the time, you know. So we got to the point where we'd met, so... um, and then I helped you with your degree show. You did, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, and which you did all leather and. Yeah, how did you get skin. into the leather? At the first college, they had the option. They, there was there were options, and there was a footwear option. And I had this wonderful old tutor called Stuart Sylvie, who had worked with Roger Vivier in the sixties. Mm. And he was a really nice guy, and he we had got us make, got us making shoes. And I remember my mother and her friend Rapsia Sellers. I literally came home one day with a lasted shoe, at age seventeen, and they just couldn't believe how much it was like a real shoe. And it, I mean, I couldn't believe I was like a real shoe. And I'd done a bit of leather work before. I, I think I'd found a leather jacket in a thrift store and customised it on my mother's sewing machine. And I'd mucked around. And of course, the other thing which I, I always forget, but is very interesting, is that my mother in the seventies. She had a suede coat and she cut it up and made me and my sister, this is very early 70s, fringed waistcoats. And then she got some turquoise acrylic and painted it on the back of the suede and cut shapes out and copied X and onto them and made us these amazing little boho hippie kind of sunny and sure waistcoats. <laughs> you know, to go around the village in Berkshire. Uh, and I, I just was just staggered by that. I mean, that had a, quite an influence on me actually. And I was always being encouraged to make... I was always making fancy dress outfits and being encouraged to do that as well as a kid. But, yeah, I mean, that, so that's where the leather origin started and, and, and that was the, uh, the intro into leather. And then at St Martin's, there was an, op- an, an opportunity to go to a college that was called Cordwainers mm-hmm. that was the only leather course on the planet back then. And that was another independent college and it was just on Mayor Street... I think I was in my third year and I knew I wanted to use leather anyway, but um, I, I went the first couple of weeks and I came back one day and I had some of the work with me and I showed it to Keir and Keir was like, he was really a god. Yeah, and I was really fascinated by it, especially as he was taking, you know, we, we were taking natural leather then and dyeing it and stuff like that. And 
it had a very sculptural quality and you could mould it and it would stay where it was pretty I remember you, 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 um, but you actually said to me didn't you you said I'd love to do I'd love to be I'd love to do that I'd love to have a go at doing that and I just said well come with me so yeah I came in with him <laughs> he came in with me I think it was the second or third week yeah maybe the third week yeah literally all the other people from St Martin's that were in his group didn't turn up so there's just me and him there so <laughs> so I had sort of six months of this once a week one-on-one tuition with the people there allowed to do whatever I wanted that was brilliant and Keir, Keir came for a good bit of it so that was kind of how we got started and then wow. you just immediately started working on your collection as mm. soon as you went back yeah that was the point of it we had a we had a seminal moment in which we do actually have photos of this thing where we made this uh, we made this leather bustier that we wanted to wear we wanted for the show we had this sculptor friend called John Webb and he did all this beaten wire work and uh, we asked him to make some seahorses and some scrolls and then we needed something to put them on really so um, we made this sort of leather bustier. We did and then we were completely flabbergasted. We dyed and everything. Yeah yeah we were completely flabbergasted that it didn't do what we wanted to do so in total desperation we soaked it strapped it to the mannequin <laughs> that was when we discovered how to do this really okay but that, that, I mean, that, that is the funny part of the story is that it literally was the 87 degree show that this has all evolved from has been that linear which is quite strange really and the other nice thing the other the, the other counterpoint to this is that it brings back the, the collins family is that tilly modeled in the show and wore that piece and um i had a we made a beautiful python skin biker jacket uh, for men's one which which Josh her brother my friend sponsored so he got the jacket she got the bustier so they kind of sponsored pieces for the show which would have been other, otherwise would have been Impossible. well far too expensive for me yeah. to afford the materials for or whatever and you know it was very sweet of them actually really sweet and your mother made buttons and yes buckles, yes my mother sculpted some buckles and buttons and things for it because we had these funny little ram skull buttons down the backs of the suede dresses and she made those and I mean it's really fortunate that, in fact, uh, the, 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 and they still have the pieces uh, that we that we made, and I'm very glad that they do because um, there's an exhibition coming up at the Sandra's Museum, and I think um, one or two of those pieces might be in that. Um, an exhibition of your work? No, 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 no. It's it's it's, it's about it's about uh, it's very specific. Between 1984 and 1988, it's what people wore. And club, club wear yeah, okay. and, and what people wear in clubs. It's, it's cool. off the back of Taboo and yeah. it, It's a lot more to do with probably. There's other names than us, but, but I think there might be a bit of a crossover with that. But anyway, it's... Um, yeah, so that, that was a degree show after which we vowed never to work together again. Then. Absolutely, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Was it a stressful experience then? That yeah, it became progressive as the date exactly. as the date gets nearer. You get more stressed, yeah. don't you? And uh, you know, uh, we used to work in Tilly's house. Who's Elizabeth Collins's daughter? Uh, she had a, a, a loft room. We used to work up there, and then we, you know, we got told off for making too much noise too much late at night. So it's just like so that was a... banging away at midnight or something. Making so that reduced our working hours and. Um, you know, we just about got it done and it all went fine and then it was like, oh, we're not doing that again. Yeah, and then basically um, uh, it, it, with, with, with college debts hanging over me and all the rest of it, and we, by this point we were actually living with Josh at mm. the Angel just up the road. He, he bought a place up there, an amazing 
property, an old, an old church hall right opposite the canal. We were, we were living there and I had to get a job at um, Way In, the funny fashion department of okay. Harrods. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Which they set up in the 60s and were still kind of quite big in the mid 80s. Mm-hmm. By now, well, mid late 80s. And, they did uh, a refit, didn't they? They did a refit, yes. It was all like purple and orange and green. Yeah, you know, they, still had the, they still had the 60s. <laughs> And then it suddenly went all high tech, black and silver. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly yeah. what they did. Yeah. I moved to London in '91, so that's when I would have been. Yeah, it probably would have still been that yeah. thing there yeah. then. I feel, I feel like I remember like neon. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But they were selling Pam Hogg and uh, Joe Casey Hayford and da, 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 John, da, 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 da. Richmond. John Richmond, mm-hmm. a bit of Westwood. I was on the jewellery counter, and then. Um, Within, I don't know, within a few weeks, we managed to get them um, stock. No, we tried to, we, yes, we did. We, yeah. Actually, we made some samples and took them in and they didn't like them. And they said, you should do something more like your own work. Because obviously we had pictures from the degree show. Um, we were trying to be commercial, you know. And they sent us away to do something more like our own style so we did those all those belts, I don't recall that I don't recall what well, we because I had to go in you were the... working I had to go in as the representative uh, of our company yeah. so um, yeah so yeah we got them to stock us we did a jacket and some belts with like one of yeah. had all crystals up it which we sculpted oh god and moulded yeah. in they were crazy fiberglass. they were crazy and the other one had fiberglass plaques up there and there was did... all, there were corset belts they were kind of body yeah. armoury corset belt things they actually were quite interesting but the jacket was quite good yeah we did a jacket with the breastplate had breastplate metal breastplate yeah, and metal shoulder yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah. weren't real metal we cast them ourselves they were cast because his mum was a sculptor and she told us how to do it and we just did it and then we actually ended up with a with one of the jackets in the window. So I was working upstairs and had and had a window just just of us with with with, with Junior Gautier Whitaker Malin window on one figure at street level. So that was quite mad. Got we've got photos of that somewhere and um, and then a, a, and also, we used to do solo return with a shop in the King's Road. Yeah, what's up? Um, it was called Kodo. It's not. Okay. It uh, yeah, nothing, those, nothing. Everyone's come and goes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they sold really funky things. But we sold um, we sold to Jenna Nanini bought one of those jackets. Is a what was a big Italian pop star. Mm-hmm. She still is. She bought one and used it on an album cover. And then um, there was this very very well known the first big boy band we had over here were called Bros. Yeah. They came into Wayne and, and bought our stuff. We ended up making a lot of stage gear for them. And then, but more excitingly and much more importantly for us, there was a really interesting shop called Alla Mode in Hans Crescent, mm-hmm. just down the side who sold my favourite American designer, Giorgio de Sant'Angelo. They were the, really a proper stockist of de, mm. de Sant'Angelo, who's another one who's completely forgotten. I mean, he's and, one of my favourites. I have a lot of the 70s yeah. stuff, but by that time he would have been doing this, like, sort of... Bias spies, spies cut, but, like, yeah. stretchy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Sheath dresses, mm-hmm. and just gorgeous. We, we, there was a, it was a very, they, they did, did him, that Cleopatra Jones film. Oh, he made some, he did wonderful films. Yeah, he did, he did both the Cleopatra Jones movies, I think. Long story short. But they, they were next door to Browns, and Browns had Moogler, so they always had like, and they, they actually. No, that was Feathers. Feathers, Feathers. It was owned by the Browns. Group. It was owned by the Browns group. But they always bought the most extreme Moogler things, mm. only one or two, and then put them in the window, like, as 
And then we, bizarrely, so we could go and like look at yeah, them that yeah, close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we were always looking in there, and then, but we were in the one next to it, which was actually we sold both of them on and on. But but Alamode was the breakthrough one because we made this woven bustier and um, leather, leather, yes, uh, and uh, that. They, they had it there and a, 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 a well-known stylist called Sarah Jane Hall mm-hmm. came by the shop and said she loved it but she want, and she wanted to shoot it for Vogue, for UK Vogue, but she wanted it to be gold. So we just took it back off them and then managed to gold leaf it somehow. I mean, we had no expertise with doing that. I mean, Keir's, Keir's amazing at it now. And it's one of the cornerstones of our mm-hmm. practice is this leafing on leather and making leather look like metal. But um, so we managed to do that, and she took it off, and her Brit shot it, you know, and we got this incredible page in UK Vogue, which um, back then was something else because actually there wasn't much precedent of seeing things like that on the body back then. Anyway, I mean, there had been. I mean, this is the interesting. This is where Alan starts to come in. If you talk about breastplates and things on the body, uh, the, the Miyaki one's the one everyone remembers, but actually, and the Mugla robot ones, but. Alan predates all of them with his one, uh, which he did for the Pirelli calendar. And so really, he is the genesis of it uh, on the body. But then again, you can look back at the Saint Laurent metal stuff from the 60s. Well, of course, you know, I'm I'm just just in context of fashion. So I'm just saying, saying, of course, there was a liar. But but a liar actually was a little bit... I think it's a little bit more artistic with his use of leather. And I mean it as an artist, you know, because, because I think he actually... His stuff never conformed to the body or the bust that much. It was his dresses did. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but the the belts and things were a bit more angular and more like was his leather. And it's not, you know, they weren't wet molded yeah, or that not form. And so, shape, yeah, yeah. So to to present something like that was actually really quite fresh at the time. It really, really was. And then uh, unbelievably, a couple of months later, maybe even within a year, we had another page in Vogue with Sarah Jane Hoare and Herb Ritz with this bizarre pearl bustier that we made. By that time we were being stocked in America. And in fact, America has really been the main source of our, you know, it's what's kept us going over the years. You know, it, 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 between the movies and the, 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 we've only ever, we were only ever really stocked in America back in the day. And we, we, don't, we, we haven't been available at retail for, for, for decades. Well, we were doing the pop and rock stuff gave us money to do little collections. And I think we only did 16 pieces a season, didn't we? Yeah, well, just about. Which we showed stand selling. We never did a fashion show. uh, and We did one fashion show. Yeah, we did do a fashion show a bit later, but we were stand selling and um, the American stores used to buy, I think there was only three American stores that bought us. We were selling at Les Abitudes in Los Angeles, Untitled in New York, Oh, I don't know. Did Maxfield ever take anything in the end? Mm. I, no, I don't think he it did. He always tried to, but he yeah. was back to hell. Yeah, Com de Fou and um, what was Darlene's just like? Tommy. Hello, yeah. um, Com de Fou. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, no, there were some nice American buyers that bought, they bought interesting okay. stuff and sold to celebrities. And of course, in those days, musicians would actually go into the stores and they might work a bit of a discount because they were so-and-so, but they would actually cough up and buy something mm. for stage, you know. And... They, that kind of disappeared for a bit. I think it's coming back slightly, and I'm happy to say it is because it's pretty much and our stuff can trade. Through those stockists, we got stuff in American magazines, we got yeah. stuff in American films and yeah. rock and pop stars. Yeah. Just 
yeah, by living. being in LA yeah. at that time. Or New York, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it was really, really helpful. It's really, I'm really grateful to those, to that, for that, to that support. You know, I mean, because you obviously had to make each piece by hand. Yeah. So, I mean, of a piece that say you showed, how many would you even make? Would you just make very one few. single? Or very, very like few. I mean, some of the things that the pearl bustiers went down quite well, and I'd, I'd be surprised if we ever made more than six of those in reality. I mean, as it goes now, everything's pretty much oh. unique. You know, we. Oh. Gloria Estefan. She wore one that super, she did Super Bowl half time in one. So. Oh really? Oh, it's hilarious. I have to show you it. Oh it was God. it was to launch the Winter Olympics in in America. Okay, yeah. This is a long time ago, and it was um, some mental sort of spectacular halftime Super Bowl thing with all this fake snow and oh, it was just so camp and hilarious. It's like 1992, it's really tacky. It's quite amazing. It was it was great. It was great. Yeah, yeah, it was. yeah, I found it's on, it's on our Instagram feed right down the bottom, uh-huh. right down low. I did find it. I, I, that was the amazing thing. We never saw it. In those days, you didn't see anything like that mm-hmm. because there was no internet. And you were lucky if you got faxed a blurry image of some magazine you'd have to go and then beg someone to find an American send to you and we suddenly started getting all these messages going you know we've always loved you and we're so proud to stop you and it was like and it turned out then we found out that this had happened at the Super Bowl half time thing and of course you just never got to see it until YouTube and about you know about 10 years ago I found it on YouTube my god this is actually exists <laughs> and then saw how incredibly insane it was um but yeah, no, kind of fun, fun looking back at all that stuff. And um, yes, I mean, the productions, our production has always been <laughs> incredibly limited. I mean, I think we've, we've started admitting really that when it's like this, just with us two, which it is, which is how these things get yeah. made. Not, a movie's different, like Wonder Woman or something. You know, we had ended up with 20 people helping us. It mm-hmm. took us a year and we made something like 160 costumes came out from underneath what we were on mm-hmm. top of there but really we, we we do tell people now that we can basically it's about 12 pieces a year at that at that sort of standard or for clients or whatever you know it's a it's a you know um megan the stallion at uh glastonbury sort of thing and we you know well we had this ex- we had uh, we had this experience of knowing zandra through andrew um we met andrew in 91 we did yeah actually did a lecture for Josh uh, at Josh's college and then uh, he was doing Miss World alternative and, and Josh got a placement with him at the studio didn't he yeah. which is hilarious and Josh came round uh, <laughs> Andrew came round to our house and saw what we were doing asked us to make the male half of the alternative Miss World mm. costume because Andrew always has that funny 50-50 male yeah. female thing and Sandra always has the female and yeah we've done the male so one ever 90, since that was 91 know. wasn't it so we've we've done that ever since um so we knew Zandra, and Zandra is very driven, and Zandra works incredibly hard. But we felt, I think, she was a bit flogged out, really, wasn't it, by fashion? We yes, that's probably true, and and we certainly know that we we we. And then we had Jasper Conran go waxing lyrical about what we did. Oh, you make these fabulous things and. You know, do you know how many skirts I have to sell to make something that you know as amazing as you make, just to fund it and things like that. And then, 
Which uh, is a really interesting point, mm-hmm. you know. We used to sell, uh, uh, buy leather from a place called Alma Leather, and they sponsored this fashion designer called Colleen Cranch or something. Oh, I can't remember who that and was. And they just made really boring, hideous things. And I think we saw, it dawned on us that if we wanted to make these things that were kind of special, we either had to be a brand and sell like loads of sunglasses and perfume and all the things that support you, or we just had to stay at this, this sort of crafty level and and just get on and make what we wanted to make and and try and make money just by yeah. selling our skills really. Mm. So I think that's kind of the route. That was the route we took. Um, we 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 we, so we when long was this, we like long... mid early mid nineties. Actually, yeah. I mean, the the broad Anthony Price said Anthony Price <laughs> came round. We yeah. were it was just before Fashion Week and we had a few pieces together and he. he he came round for a party, actually, um, but we used to work from Josh's house. And he said, don't do what I've done, you know. He said, yeah, promise me you don't do what I've done and just end up, you know, making bespoke dresses for people. <laughs> da, 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 da. And, you know, we went to precisely <laughs> the same thing, really. But, but in a different way, I mean, you know, I, I think we... I genuinely think that we were very lucky in as much as that... And I, and I do feel for, for, for students now and graduates now and people coming into... It's just fashion, and obviously we we we're, we're very multidisciplinary because we costume, yeah. fashion, and art, and a few things. But there was still a little bit of wet cement in one corner of the room that had footprints all over it. That was sort of moulded leather that hadn't been quite stomped in, you know. Mm. And we we were able to do that, you know. And, and that that whole surface is now just, a, 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 you know, a, a sea of footprints, you know, everywhere. Um, uh, it's it, it's desperately hard to be in, very original with mm-hmm. this kind of thing now or find a signature or a stuff. But, but but actually but then having said that people do still do it and it is still pa- quite palpable but they're very subtle the signals now that differentiate you know when you think of the huge differences that used to get in the 60s you know yeah. between you know Courage and Aussie Clark or you know whatever you know these are just like you know well there's that and there's that you know and uh uh, it, it's nice to to feel that we have some sort of handwriting, which is which is you know we 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 we're blessed to have that. But I think that's very much a product of our period, really. You know, so we're still probably in the sort of early to mid nineties, and because we're stand selling our collections, we have to display our clothes. So we come up with a cast our but the main stand that we model over, which was a nineteen fifties stockman. Um, which is called a long-waisted American I did a mould of that and we cast some of those out and we leather-covered those, didn't we? So that was when we, we did. first did sort of... We'd done little things of leather cover, you know, little, mm. um, you know, things to go on jackets and things like that, but we've never actually done a whole And so, yeah, so we, 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 we made them just for our stand to show the work on and then one of the stores from... Well, the store in New York liked them and said, well, could we have one of those? And we, I don't know. Yes, and I think, you know, people... So, it's, it's called Untitled. Untitled. It's on West Eighth. It's a funny. Okay. It's a basement shop. It, it's still. Yeah. This, this, I, okay. Yeah, it I was know a basement shop. Is. Now it's different. It's bigger. Well, it used to be all black. It isn't anymore. They, they refitted it in about 1990, <laughs> and it's still the same. I think. No, but, not uh, really sweet guys run it. A really sweet couple. One of them I only found out recently died last year. Uh, Gapu and Kevin, and they've got really got a good following, and they used to do. They they. They had really great early Westwood in there when we were there. That was before Westwood had their own shops, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, 
I always did things with lots of handwork in and stuff yeah, like that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a special thing. I was doing some research and there was some, I wish I could have had it with me, but there was like a New York Times mention about a shop, and I think the name, the owner was in New York. The owner was named like Yachty. Oh. Yes, and you, they said that you had a cane bustier in it. Yes, did you make things yes. that are not leather? Y- yes, yes, okay. Th- that yes, y- that there's the yes, there's a story about Yati. They had. Actually, I might not go into it at this point. But, I mean, um, I can edit anything out. Well, no, I mean, it doesn't matter because these people, these people are all these people are all young, long gone. But um, well, they haven't died, darling. No, 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 no. But the store has, and the, you know, it was it was an amazing store. And she loved our star, and she wanted to art, open an art clothing store, which is such an honourable thing to try and mm-hmm. do. And actually, not at a bad time. The timing wasn't that bad, except except there was always something going on. It was either the sort of Gulf War or the you know yeah. as usual, like there always is some you know some reason that there's not much money around, you know. Um, and she chose and bought really really nice stuff yeah, from us. Shona Kane Bustier. And she wanted yeah, one she of had, those. She had one. And she had the Holstone dress as well. She had the she? mad Holstone dress. Yeah. We went on Brighton Beach. You know those pebbles mm-hmm. with holes in. We bought a load, <laughs> a load of those. And we found them. Neck you piece buy them. Little, yeah, it's a crazy thing. Holstones on it, and it mm. weighed a ton. And then we did mm. this nice sort of fabric dress because we used to mix fabric and leather quite a lot. Though. We did. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And we used to do hand painted silk and all oh. sorts of things and nice little. Um, I mean, we, we basically, we did 10 years of stand selling very small collections in Paris. And we were very fortunate that we got so good press on a lot of story. it. No, I'm not telling okay, you about the story. So, um, um, going back to what I was saying. So, we did this, our first um, stands with leather-covered stands. And then we uh, uh, met the creative director of Adele Rootstein, who used to be the top mannequin uh, company in this country. You must know about Roots. Do you oh, know yeah, about, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, she'd know about Roots, too. She, she would. <laughs> All of the different models. Of yeah, that, yeah, yeah, Luna and Twiggy and everyone. Oh, yeah. And they're just and they're beautifully proportioned, beautifully stylized. Yeah. I mean, there's just nothing like them. And I think they had a few very, very clever sculptors working for mm-hmm. them. And Alan's always been under the spell of all that stuff as well, obviously. Yeah. And we... So Michael Southgate used to commission us to do things, either make clothes to go on the mannequins, to show the mannequins, or to do leather colours. That was really nice, because we actually got to make the... We actually made moulded things that were posed. So if you took them off, they were kind of crazy angles. But when they went on the poses, you know, they kind of... Yeah, it was a really fun thing to do. And then we came up with this technique for for leather covering the torsos. Mm -hmm. And... um, we actually showed it to Michael and he loved it and they launched a little range with us and they called it Queer, you know, C-U-I-R. <laughs> and it was all kind of... And it, it, really, it became an important stream of income for us. It became, it became a really major... Of course, it took off. And one stage, Ralph, uh, Ralph Lauren had them in metallics and all sorts of colours. Wow. I mean, we did windows after windows and Mulberry had them. Would you make those yourself? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they, they were making they the fiberglass, the fiberglass blanks, and then yeah. we covered them, and then they come. Up and they were sort of like some twenty, 20 at a time. So yeah. I mean, not twenty time, but I mean, I oh, think no. we once, we once worked out how many we made, and there was probably a hundred. We made well over one hundred and fifty of them, I'm sure, in the end. Mm-hmm. And um, it's quite funny because they pop up sometimes, and 
there's a, a, a Spitalfields market. Um, someone had one there and a friend inquired about it, knowing jolly well that we managed it. That's very special. It's 60s. So there's, there's, it's like, you know, cause it was lime green or some mad colour that we'd done. But we learned a hell of a lot. And then this interesting, I don't know, you, I, I, I doubt you discussed it much with Alan, but we met Alan through an amazing photographer called Bob Carlos Clark. Okay. Yeah, he knows work. Yeah. We were friendly with Bob and we'd done a few things. We'd lent him, he took pictures of Caprice wearing our stuff and I don't know what. God, I forgot uh, about Caprice. I know. I know he did an extraordinary picture of her and he tried to give us a print this big. And I said, Bob, I can't take that. It's in the, and he went, you know, I said, it's too much. He went, oh, you're probably right. <laughs> of course, it was worth 20 grand now or something. Yeah. Anyway, but um, dear Bob... Knew Alan, obviously Bob's Bob sort of Alan was very much in, 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 enamoured with Alan. And then at some point, Alan said to Bob, oh, I'm wanting to, you know, complete the addition of the furniture, you don't need any good leather people. And he said, I know the best leather people, da 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 da, da. So we met Alan through Bob Carlos Clark. That's how we, that's how all that happened. But, and we started working on the furniture, the, specifically the tables and all the chair and all that, the classic furniture. And then um, at some point during that, we went to Ledwell. We took Alan, this chair that we'd made, it's out there, we made a funny chair anyway, which we, we free sculpted ourselves, we leather covered a few of them. And um, I said to Alan, I said, we could leather cover a complete figure for you if you were interested. And he went, oh, that might be interesting. And then, so we did one and then we made it and Gary Hume bought it almost immediately from him. And that's how all that started with Alan. And it's a nice circular story, really, because then Louboutin became interested in us through the things we were making via social media. Yeah. And we kind of got that gig really through what we'd done with Alan was, mm-hmm. was the backbone of it. And then, so we were in the exhibition and then then, then it goes full circle and Louboutin, you know, we kind of introduced that Louboutin to Alan and he becomes involved in the exhibition too. It's really, really nice. So it kind of all went the whole way around, you know. And whilst we're on the subject about him, we learned an awful lot from him, didn't we? I mm. mean, you know, it's been definitely the... It's all about the line for Alan, you know, in his paintings, you know, it's just that. And he'll... You see lines and lines and lines and lines, you know, all under each other, and then until finally well, the paint goes on and then it gets changed again and again. He does fiddle a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got a very, very good eye, and uh, he, I think the, his approach to colour has really, really helped mm. us. Because, of course, coming out of fashion and all this, it's always got to be black. There's always got to be black, and we're really quite anti that. I mean, having said that, we desperately need some black leather things in our arsenal because we get arsenal that you know was weekly, and they want always wanted to be black, and we, you know, we are addressing that but but and I actually felt recently that actually at the time it's probably about the right time to do something that's more like that but we probably never make it black it'd be very 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 dark plum you know conquery sort of aubergine or something mm. you know eggplanty kind of colour no I Alan's feel like we were addressing it mentally rather than actually doing it yeah but Alan I think Alan made us a lot more adventurous with colour and Alan and, and, and what Keir's trying to say is that we've had a lot of fun over the years drawing on the sculptures with Alan on the figures and working out where seams would be. I mean, our technique is all about the seaming. I mean, there are plenty of people that will show you a leather cover, a leather bustier or breastplate that's just like a lump of leather that's been wrapped around a thing and there's yeah. no seams. People are terrified of sewing leather 
especially thick leather, it's very, yeah. very difficult to do. I mean, you know, it's not very difficult, it's skilled. And I'm only any good at it because I've done it for years. So, but to us, seeming is expression and it's, it, it's, it, it's the lines and it tells the story and all the rest of it. So, you know, we wouldn't want to not have the seams, you know, and, um, and there's a discipline, you sort of have to have them. They have to go in certain places, really. Yeah, we've had, that, that's, we've had a lot of fun over the years working on all that stuff with him. Oh, no, we always have, uh, we've always had a kind of joyous relationship with Alan. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, we, we do very, very positive. Mutually respectful of each other, but, and also very encouraging. Um, you know, he does listen to us as well, which is kind of... Yes, I'm sure, yeah. For yeah, someone who's so focused on their work and is, is complete workaholic and still works seven days a week, it's very complimentary that he does listen to what we have to say about his work. Yeah, no, as, I, as we would him, mm. you know, anyway. So then we did McQueen. Yes, that was probably, that was, a, that was a bit of a defining moment that came along sort of around then. I think we're up to about early, uh, mid-90s. Now. When was no, it? 97 that was. The, the Givenchy Haute Couture. Yeah. Yeah, so about 97. So we'd been working for Alan for a few years and we were, probably, we actually were doing the, um, we were doing the mannequins still. I remember him saying he liked them. He actually saw that one that's out there. Mm-hmm. They came, came to our funny little studio with Katie England. It was very interesting. He, he, he kind of knew what he wanted. We did, did a few little drawings on the backs of envelopes, really. I've got this job with Yeah, yeah. I want you to make some stuff for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and it, was, it was really nice. And he, he kind of did t- take London to Paris almost wholesale. It was us and Philip did the hats and... Simon uh, Did Simon Costin do the jewellery? Mm. The set. No, the set. Oh, the set. Um, uh, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, he did, and it was it was it was mad. And it, at the time, I think the collection was slightly um, frowned not frowned upon, but I think it's people derided a bit. It was slightly derided at the time. I think it was quite camp. Yeah, it was you know slightly probably it, it was a little bit kitsch and slightly, slightly campy. But I think now it's regarded quite you know it's seen as quite a a, a seminal point. He only, and he wasn't there that long, was he? Come to think of it, I don't know. Know. they got rid of him. Really yeah. <laughs> Yes, yeah. his first season, he spent an awful lot more money than they were expecting, and it uh, there was a lot of very elaborate pieces. Yeah, I think they were. it was it was a nice thing to do. It was a really really nice thing to do, and then um, we actually we did that, and then a few years later, he asked to work with us again well, on his own collection. We did that, and we never did another collection again. Actually, for As, your, your own, yes, because yeah. he he took our slot where we would have made a collection. Oh, yeah. And we made only made two pieces for that show, didn't we? Yeah. But they were great, and I mean, they, they, and, and what set the scene on that was that during the show, we we made the the gold centurion one, which I'm very fond of because it it those centurion belts were in my degree show, mm-hmm. so it, 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 and then of course we had to do them for Wonder Woman, so there's there's a complete sort of circular thing there as well, uh, with all that with that look. You know, as I say, he 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 kind of came back to us, and we couldn't help him with his own collection because we were doing the Dark Knight bat suit, which I kind of, you know, I almost if I I think if I had that time, <laughs> it might be a different story. I don't know, but the, 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 we learnt a lot doing the bat suit, but it was a whole whole other animal. Yeah, and we'd always said because of sort of Barbarella and this that and the other, we'd always sort of thought that. 
really. What was definitely happening at that time was that pop people just expected everything for free by them. And you'd get the odd time they'd come in and go, yeah, you know, we're doing a video and I might buy something, but it didn't, you know. We were doing stage shows. We did, we did lots of odd pieces for stage shows, you know, Alan Keyes and all that. That's true, that's true, the Stones and Stephen Tyler. And then another strange thing that happened around that. Were you that, making them like, with someone like Stephen Tyler or the Stones, what, do you make, what would you make them? A breastplate, breastplate or a little, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was by Tommy, that one, actually. Yeah, I mean, the other, the other bit of the story, which you might not be aware of, is that we... Well, that's um, what happened. We stopped doing collections, and then we more or less picked up Tommy... After we did. We worked with Tommy Hilfiger for years, oh, yeah. making catwalk pieces for... He, um, he realised that he wasn't getting any editorial press, it was all advertising, um, so he wanted to do a fashion label. So. And he wanted to do celebrity, dress and celebrities. Mm-hmm. And, yes, you know, he wasn't doing uh, And so they sort of, they formed this thing called Red Label, which was like a sort of a... a came up with a this campaign in the late 90s, which was very clever. Um, it was like... D K N Y. It was it was the three big designs: Ralph Lauren, Donna Karen, and Calvin Klein. Calvin Klein. And then he just put those um, initials up, and then he put T H, and just sort of announced himself as the fourth major New York designer. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was, there was a bit when there was a period when he was really, really big, wasn't there? And yeah. it was around now. It was at the end of the 90s, early noughties. You know, he was. That's yeah, they're only shed loads of money, and I yeah, suppose they needed a tax yeah, loss yeah, also. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, he had a very, very nice creative director called Stephen Chirona, who's really, it was a sweetheart. And we were, we were kind of really were quite young. And we're going back now, it's 20, over 20 years ago, come to think of it. It's quite a long time ago. And Stephen would come around here and. Five on Concord and come and see us. And, Twenty-five years, time. Yeah, and it was it was it was nice. And so they used to commission us to come up with finishes, you know, like leather, working into leather, you know, in a craft way, and then we had some nice ones. And Zandra was very helpful because we said to Zandra, you know, they asked us to come up with these leather finishes. So so we kind of came up with a textile idea, and then we're making the garments as well. A wonderful cutter they used to have in New York called Eddie Worrell, who was this genius men's cutter, old school American, 60s, just amazing tailor. And he'd do the patterns and then we'd adapt them because it was, they wanted to show tailoring, you know. Um, we did do a few little breastplates. We made Naomi Campbell a little mad little... Yeah, I remember that one. Steve Tyler one. The one for Steve Tyler and things um, like that. But mostly it was that. So, But the, 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 big, the best breakthrough idea we had, so Zandra was very helpful, was helping us to work out what, how to, what we should charge or certainly charging for the, for the technique. And then um, we, the best one we came up with, which I was, we were really, really proud of and, and actually then got knocked off by everyone, including Ralph Lauren, was we actually did a machine pinstripe on black leather in, in white thread. So every, literally yeah. all hand sewn, about an inch apart, like a chalk stripe, just top stitching on black planche leather and did tailoring out of it. And though that was, that was one of those moments you just go, why has no one done this before, you know? And we, we, we did that we, for our own collection, actually. Did we do it for ourselves first? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did, didn't we? Well, they flocked into Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, so no, it was, it was, that was actually... It was Great experience. Good, good experience, and it was it was it was creative. It was, and... yeah, it was actually, and it was nice people. Very very nice. We we set a huge store about the people we work with now. I mean, it's really, you know, we 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 pretty much choose what we do now. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're we're fortunate. We've got a bit of a almost not quite a waiting list for our pieces, but there's you know, 
there's there's interest ongoing and it, it's about as much as we can deal with sort of thing as, as, as the way the business is but um, the Tommy experience was very very good very very positive and as I say in a very very nice team so yeah we did that's that that's nice to hear because it's like, you don't always hear that in fashion hey do you know what we've probably met nicer people in fashion than we have in film okay I mean there is absolutely almost zero loyalty in the film industry throughout zero mm. it is so because everything gets set up for one show yeah. and then, then pulled apart you know and, and a whole lot of those people in that fall fall out with each other or didn't get on and all the politics and the bullshit and you, you get costume designers and supervisors and the supervisors are actually more important than the designers to the production because they're the ones who control the budgets and they're mm. quite often hired before the designer is yeah and there's a whole there's a whole other thing about the way the film industry works, and it kind of it's handy because this is this is a segue of our story really is that we we did approximately sort of ten years of our own thing, and then the McQueen Hill figure bit and the and the Rootstein mannequins was all sort of the same time, mm-hmm. and then we kind of went into the to the movie thing, and and we had a, a a really fabulous entree into the film thing because we were asked to we had had stuff in movies. Prior to that, yes, in stuff that we'd made and they'd used. Yeah, we yeah. did a really random thing happen. They, they made a Mortal Kombat movie, the first Mortal Kombat movie, God knows when, in 1980 something, eight or I don't know when it was. They literally went to the stores in LA and bought our pieces, just put them in the film and then passed them off as things that they claim credit, <laughs> they claim for, credit them. for them. <laughs> and the first we saw of it, of course, pre internet, nothing like that, was there was a one so, of the one of the shops said oh, we sold some stuff to a movie and uh, I said what was that and uh, we found out and then there was one of those sort of funny making of magazines that you used to get uh, for this model car we bought it and then there was literally pictures of our moulded no, leather dresses costume design drawings of our work. of our pieces by, <laughs> with this woman's signature beneath and I managed to, actually I managed to phone, phone her up I managed to back then I managed to track her down via the phone. You could sort of be persistent in those as you could and got hold of her and instantly got this kind of like, You should be grateful we're doing this, you know. People pay to get this kind of I said, Well look, I said, We're not Gucci, it's just the two of us here. You've just yeah. kind of bought this thing and making it anyway, whatever. No, the indignancy was they took credit. That was, yeah, yeah. We were, that's an ongoing that's the other ongoing battle with the film well, with a lot of what we do, but but especially the film thing is credit. Yeah. You know. So anyway, off the back of that, um, one thing and another, we had this, the, 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 the relaunch of the film thing was we, we did the, what's now widely regarded as the worst Bond movie of all time, Die Another Day, which has become a sort of cult camp classic, really. I don't, I don't wonder at it, it's bonkers film. <laughs> I mean, it was quite fun. I mean, the one I'd rather worked on was the 60s Casino Royale, which is the one I always really remember. But um, long story short, um, I can't remember whether we were, it was all to do with Madonna, wasn't it? And the... We got, we were in, we, someone got in touch with us, a, 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 a costume assistant that we were aware of, that we knew was working with Lindy Hemming, who was a costume designer, and they'd, um, they got Madonna as this lesbian instructor. No, it was to do Harry, is what we did. We were brought in to do the Halle Berry belt. I've got a feeling it was the other way around. No, because they didn't have Madonna on board, they were trying to get Madonna. Oh, oh, Okay. So yes, Halle Madonna Berry, was doing yeah. the theme tune, yeah, yeah, and they wanted her in the film, but she kept saying no. But anyway, they got us in to do 
Halle Berry's Halle Berry's knife break. coming out yeah, yeah, which is this Isolandra's tribute thing because it was the 20th Bond movie and no, no, no. so so yeah we did so we did that and Halle was lovely and then she got an Oscar during that and yes. it was all a bit of fun that and then we ended up doing quite a lot we ended up doing yeah. Madonna's outfit which was which was completely where her 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 her, her, her her breastplate. Oh, we did about five Caress. things, and she chose one. Like that. And, a bit like um, that. But we got to go to her house and fit her in there. She was, yeah. yeah, she was really nice to us, and it was really a fun, it was a really fun day filming at a Pinewood. It was really memorable. Yes, we had this amazing introduction where we went to. Uh, they were filming the fencing scene, so they just ushered us onto set. So we were, and there were couches on the set as part of the set. So we were sitting on the couch with the costume designer Lindy Hemming, which is director Lee Tamahori and Barbara Rock. Yeah, yeah. We all just had to sit there and watch the run throughs, which I mean, I mean, no, I, I don't know, I don't know why they were so nice to us. I mean, kind of like now, it's just like you just can't imagine anyone doing remotely like that these days. So anyway, we would, anyway, it was it was a really really nice experience, and, and uh, I think because we had interacted with so many celebrities because of all the pop and rock work we'd done. We were not in, com- intimidated by Madonna. So we picked up a rapport with her very quickly. Yeah. And, and she I, thought we were quite funny anyway. I think she and I think Barbara that. Broccoli thought we were friends with Madonna for some reason because we had this kind of rapport. So um, Maybe that was it. I don't I know. I think it had something to do with that. Yeah, um, anyway. It all went very, very well. And we, we, we luckily, we very cheekily asked if we could get some credit. And I mean, I wasn't that bothered because they paid us reasonably. It was a really nice thing to do. Because I was a Bond fan, you know, from, from yeah. old days. And I'd been very aware of like, you know, and I remember saying to Madonna, the only time anything that's happened before is like, you know, Grace Jones wore a liar in view to a kill. And I was mentioning that to her because, I mean, that had a huge impact. I mean, mm-hmm. that, she, you know, he made her look really pretty great in that. And if you look at that film now, she still looks pretty great. You know, I mean, really great. And Nanaya didn't do so many things like that. So it stands out nicely. And, and again, it was back to that sort of seeing Paco Rabanne go up on Barbarella, mm-hmm. you know, so I thought, well, you know, we'll ask we get a credit. And, so he mentioned it to Lindy. Lindy said, well, I do sometimes get a credit. And da, 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 da. We'll see, you know, I can ask. And then, you know, we got this amazing thing, the producers wish to thank. Aston Martin Cars, you know, Bollinger Champagne, Whitaker Mayer, you know. So we actually got it. I absolutely couldn't believe it. And that was a, it was a very, it was quite, a, I want to say, it was, a, it was a really good, funny, it proud was a moment. Great experience. It, you know. And uh, it was a great way to start. In, it was great, in yeah. The movies, yeah, and, yeah, it but, was. Naively, we thought it was always we know you know, so we went from that to sort of scrambling around and God knows what, but uh yeah i mean we we did ten, we'd done ten we did ten years of film work almost consistently, and it wasn't that long after that that we did the dark night bounce suit with with Lindy, uh, and that was something wholly different. It was not one piece of leather on the whole costume, uh, and it was um we were being hired really because of our ability to get really near the body mm-hmm. and our abilities with sculpt because you know what's absolutely key to our process is that everything you see that we make that's molded we've made the sculpture that goes underneath it mm-hmm. so it's, it's like it's very analogous with footwear and a last or blocking hats you know and a block for millinery purposes so it is that there are sort of blocks and obviously we the, the film thing got us into understanding all that and we had a a very nice experience as a legendary costume designer who, again, slightly far too unheard of these. He's called Bob Ringwood, who did the original Dune, which mm-hmm. is 
for us is the one that looks a million times better than <laughs> any of the ones anyone any of the, you know probably well, the best wise well yeah and, and sets I mean the best sets in costume almost of any film ever in my opinion certainly sci-fi I mean just oh, you know, well yeah but you know it, it, it was extraordinary what they did on that film and of course it's Gina De Laurentiis mm-hmm. that's what's important about Dune is that you've got you know Barbarella 60s, Flash Gordon, 70s, June 80s, and that, and they're they're all very simpatico. Yeah. You know, it's it's like a triptych. We were very excited to work with him, and we 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 had an experience with him doing Troy that we didn't do very much with that. These very clever Italians, who were second generation leather workers who did all the Game of Thrones stuff, and their fathers did the leather stuff on Barbarella, okay, well, and for the Vadim, uh, what's the one? They did all the sword and sand things mm-hmm. yeah in the 50s yeah, and 60s yeah. but they did Fonda's leather stuff of the Vadim medieval one oh, oh um, powers of evil powers of evil yeah amazing yeah yeah. yeah which could have predates Barbarella doesn't it I mean allow she looks amazing I know and I mean I, when I first saw that and I think I saw that a while after we yeah. making our stuff leather I was like, outfit and then the capes and with yeah, this yeah, whole thing yeah, yeah. yeah it's just too fantastic she's, she's, my, she's my other favorite yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah yeah and ours and yeah. ours yeah um, yeah yeah no absolutely you know that was us getting into 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 the movies. So of course, I've slightly forgotten where we are now. But we're talking about Bob Ringwood. Oh, Bob Ringwood and Troy. Yeah, yeah, genius. And then genius. Talk about the bat suit. Well, yeah, the bat suit was. Bat so suit, you said it was suit. had no leather. What was the bat suit then? Urethane, it's called, which is okay. nasty sort of gummy, rubbery stuff that's all moulded. I mean, we were part of a team, mm-hmm. a huge team at Leeson Studios producing it, and it was a big old gang effort doing so we, that. We did the under part, which was a, a space of fabric, a nylon space Like a mesh suit. And then we worked out that it was a sort of how it went on, you know. and Then we were working with props department. They did all the sculpt for the body that went on top of that, and then we brought it all together. There's a special gluing technique we had to develop to put it together, and I mean, you, know, you imagine with superhero suits, it's just like another thing altogether. So, yeah, so we did that. That was a good, we learned that a lot. And the point about that, the point I'm coming to was, um, I remembered it now, is that on Troy was the first time we encountered a body scan of an actor. Uh-huh which was a big breakthrough. And they had this extraordinary body scan of Brad Pitt that was so detailed. They did realise it in fibreglass, so it was hard, which isn't very handy to make things on, really. But um, you could actually see the impressions his socks had made on his ankles and his sort of... The hairs on his legs, it all... It was so detailed. And it cost... I think it cost £50,000, which... It was 30. What? It was 30. But... But that's a long time ago. Bob Ringwood had done the first body scan that they used in movies which was Terminator guy what's his name Schwarzenegger, oh, Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger in yeah. Batman Forever or whatever one it was he was uh, which was one of the, uh, the Batman, Batman or yeah. Mr Freeze or whatever he's called because Bob because Bob did the June thing yeah. he still suits with all this thing yeah. yeah that's how he got the first Batman job yeah yeah, so he yeah. pioneered all that um, latex rubber. The, the, the original Dune, the original Dune still suits are the are the, the 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 seed. The original superhero suit is the Dune still suit because that begat the Keaton bat suit. Yeah, and there was a girl, a, a British sculptor. This is another nice story, and I've forgotten her name, which is awful. We'll have to remember it, but. Um, I saw her work in the 1970s at a local art centre 
my mother's sculptor friend who I showed the shoe to mm -hmm. took me to this amazing show and we saw this woman's work and she made these padded leather torsos that were like anatomical out of stitched leather so they were like exposed anatomical figures but she had sort of very like the June thing she had almost had D-rings up here with mm. straps running through to sort of do the collars and the tendons and she's absolutely uh, Mandy Havers okay. is her name and I did we actually did little ex it was an exhibition on superheroes that opened just before COVID sadly with some friends up in um in, in, in Stoke in Stoke uh, called Pow and we took part in it and we did a whole thing about this and we showed how I'd seen that then Bob saw it and Bob Bob completely lifted it with the still suits and he would admit that he tried to get her to make them but she got absolutely terrified I think she thought she'd have to make all sort of 200 of them on her own or something mm -hmm. but but anyway she said no no you just you know you go in and they may give us some payment or some she wasn't credited for it though I don't at all and then we got to bring it full circle. I actually did a thing at St. Martin's. We, we made a leather version, which we had in L and a few magazines on girls. It was made as menswear really quite early on, didn't we? And then we got we, we took it full circle with... We um, did one at college in Nylon. That's, yeah, in Nylon at St. Martin's. And that pattern became a leather one, God knows when. And then it came full circle with Idris Elba for the Hobson Shaw thing we did. And I, they were after this techie leather suit. So I said, look, you know, this is just, this is a... You know, so we were delighted to do that because that that's how we'd always wanted to do the bat suit, really, you know, in our minds, you know. And we're quite proud of the Hobson Shaw suit because A, we designed it. Uh, B, they credited us correctly for once. We got a Talos suit by Whitaker Malam on the end credit, which is really nice. And C, it was a really nice example of something that you make for the film. And then the more it got worn in the film, the better it looked. Mm. So it started out quite immaculate. And then it got a bit creased, but it actually did all the better for it. It just, it was a, a trapunto technique with a sort of felt back and foam and then leather over it. So it's like a Chanel handbag for the body, you know, quilted, mm -hmm. padded sort of thing. And it, did, it got nicer really, didn't it, with the wearing. That was a nice job. Yeah. So that's another circular story, but Bob was Bob was wonderful, and we we do you know we had an amazing so creative and so creative, and we saw him at work and, and extravagant yeah yeah, and then sadly I, I mean thought I, the world yeah you know, I mean movie, he, yeah. he he he's so clever that because he's from theatre you know he got buyers from Africa and Asia and you know bringing stuff in just to do this. Yeah, they had so much stuff. And in yeah. fact, it got recycled forever into other Warner Brothers films. All the 300 films all reused the armour and then got Doesn't reworked. And literally, it was, it's, it's just gone round and round and round that. But they made an awful lot of stuff for it. But Bob's background was in theatre, where, of course, you get to do sets and costumes. And he did Draftsman's Contract with Peter Greenway. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and did, sets, and wow, did yeah. sets and costumes. And uh, he, he did Excalibur. Anyway, I mean, a sign of his genius is just literally... He, the Trojan horse in Troy is one of the best things in the film and it's made to look as if out of it's been reclaimed out of bits of old broken ships so that the ribbing forms the mane. It's absolutely stunning. And Bob gave them the idea and he took in this picture of this extraordinary gorilla that he'd found, a big silverback male gorilla made out of tyres so the treads went forward mm, and formed the arms yeah. and the crown of the head... And he said, this is how you should do the Trojan horse, except out of old shit bits, just like this. And they're all like this meeting, they'll go, my God, he's right, you know, so you can't throw that away, you know, but that, that, that's, the, that's the level of creativity pouring out of that one, you know, mm. that ability. But the movie industry, 
sadly, and, and it's become more and more the case, and the more and more with Hollywood uh, uh, well, in particular. Bob, we realise if you're too creative, you don't really fit in. They don't, they don't want it. Interested. They want you compartmentalised, they want you within the department, they want you in the pyramid, anyone sticking heads up to They want to push the boundary much, you know? a tiny little bit, you know. but they want conservatism based you know, because yeah, they yeah. want to sell to the most amount of you know, people and w- um, the people like Bob and us all wandering around imagining or wishing that we were working with Fellini or something <laughs> and you're just not or Ken Russell yeah, yeah uh, or whoever and they, I, I think there are films being made like that independently now but there was a period when actually quite big budget the period that we love yeah <laughs> this is why we love it is that people would come together creatively and actually pitch ideas in and there wasn't always politics or you no know, the studio says that or were still i mean we, we specifically the superhero thing which we've really gone into and the, the, there's a good reason that we've done more for dc than marvel and dc did have or had I don't know where they're at with it now a much less rigid structure about these characters you work on a Marvel movie as a name costume designer the first day you arrive at work or your first meeting with the producers they're going to give you a pile of drawings they've done in-house of those costumes of those characters they've had created in-house and you're required to lift them off the page you know, yes, or you can go away, work out what we do with the lab coats or she wears a dress to a party you can work that yeah. one out but the interesting stuff it's all been you know, and you'd be lucky if you could move a strap two inches down an arm or add, an, you know, or add anything to well, it. We've had that battle. So. Oh, we've had those battles, you know. <laughs> we, we know what it's like. So, uh, and left alone credit or anything else, it's just, you know... Yeah, I mean, on these movies, how much to say in the design of something do you have versus, like, the costume designer or somebody else? Well, this is, this is where it gets complicated. And, I mean, you know, it, 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 Lindy Hemming, again, who, I mean, the, 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 our... our, our our biggest moment with films was obviously Wonder Woman and we inherited the bussier she wore, the red one, the gold that looks kind of plasticky. Yeah. That came from a previous show. That was designed by a very nice man who's a friend of ours called Michael Wilkinson. Super talented costume designer. One of the few that can actually draw really beautifully. I mean, his drawings are exquisite. He's the real deal. Uh, doesn't need an, an, an illustrator, really. I mean, he'll use one, but he doesn't need one. And we inherited that from him, and Lindy got the Wonder Woman gig. And I'm proud to say that when Lindy went to Hollywood to meet the producers to talk about doing it, she said, I know the most perfect people on the planet to make these costumes. <laughs> and she met us too, which was really nice. And I think they did actually, she did show them our stuff. And it was sort of, the world of it was was worked around what we could provide and that was lovely. And we totally committed to it. You know, we gave them a year of our lives and I got permanently got high blood pressure from the stress of doing it. Because all she ever did, bless her, and quite rightly, was every day coming around and going, you've got so much to do, you know, <laughs> grabbing my lapels on a daily basis, which was kind of like, yes, Lindy, I do know. And then these other assistants going, with these checklists coming around going, you know, next week we need do, 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 do. And it's like reams of characters and... But it was fabulous because it, it, the best thing about it was that uh, the director, Patty Jenkins, in fact, we were on it before she was. They, they had another director who, got, who, who they parted company with. And, um, but she was brilliant because her husband was a sports journalist and he knew all these extraordinary CrossFit women and people like Anne Wolfe, who's this extraordinary heavyweight boxing champion of America. There's a video on 
YouTube KOing this blonde girl. I mean, in the ring. I mean, amazing women. Uh, you just never get to meet horse and people. horse people and athletes and oh, it was just breathtaking. And I remember, I said to Lindy, I said, "Look, Lindy, we've got to develop a stand here, uh, a, a block for the rank and file Amazon army. Mm-hmm. You know, and all it's about, as usual, is what the bus shape's going to be on the break. That's all I care about. That's all that interests me, and that's all that anyone's going to really see. Because with film, all there is silhouette first, then texture and color comes next. Especially with the way they light things these yeah. days. She wheeled me in front of Patty and went." He's got something to ask you. And I said, okay, Patty, you know, busts, breast shapes, you know, what what, what do we think an Amazon warrior breast shape? And all my references are like, Helmut Newton, Helmut Newton, <laughs> Helmut Newton, you know. And so I'm like, this is Alan Jones, Helmut Newton, you know. This is what I think it should be. These are Amazons, you know. And she just, well, every kind of breast shape. <laughs> okay, so it's like a world of... But of course, we, we just stuck with it. And of course, they... They, they weren't letting us do nipples, of course, the way that we'd want to do them, or, you know... Uh, try and do a belly button. There was the navel, yes. Navel we, gate. Yes, we, we put a navel in, in, because the one that we really did was what she would like, her under one was sort of the miscreant training armour, which is the one that she wears with a funny little asymmetric pleated skirt when she's there doing her sword stuff and all that, and I think she wears that in the... She wears that in the beach battle, doesn't she, I think? Yeah, she yeah. wears that in the island she comes from. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, anyway... We just put a belly button We put a navel in because... Well, no, we do because we, A, we always like doing it, and B, the, the, what we like about it is the classical reference to sculpture mm-hmm. and one thing and another. And then, so we did this, and everyone loved it, and Lindy loved it, and we were getting on with it, and she shot on it for about a month or something, or maybe not that much, a couple of weeks. And then some rushes go back to L.A., and a producer's wife saw this and said, why has she got a navel? I don't like it. And it's not remotely involved with the production other than being a producer's wife. You know, the, producer's not even, the producer's not even in the UK. So they've just seen something. Some of the Warners saw something and didn't like it. And then we had to, the shot had to be digitally removed from everybody shot so far in post. And we had to sort of wet the leather and push them back out. <laughs> you know, really some old school. They'll make it soggy and stick it back out and no one will notice. And, and then we got away with it. But it became known as Naval Gate. I named it and everyone called it Naval Gate. I remember the producer's daughter came around and going, what about Naval Gate? I thought, that's got around because I started that one. But yeah, no, it was, it was, <clears throat> it was a wonderful experience, actually. I'm, I'm, it's really nice to look back on it as fondly as we do now but you know the usual thing happened <laughs> the second film comes along no one even no one even calls you to say you're not doing it you know people that say they're your friends you know and, and, and you have to put up with put up with it's like, this is the one it's business like you have to put up quite a long time with people going around going why are you doing Wonder Woman anyone knows you oh this is happening you're not doing it are you no 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 you know that's if you go to trade places leather merchants everyone knows you know yeah. So it's just, you know, to, to wear it. So luckily Christian Louboutin came along and asked us to do an exhibition with him, which is far more interesting. And then you saw the second film they made. You kind of understood why they didn't. But then again, I was looking at that gold plastic armour thinking, yeah, it's okay, but where's it come from? What, what's, what, what's, this, what's the context? It's got no patina. Is it something from Smiska? Is it something made in 1984? Yeah. It wasn't explained adequately. You know, and and people that the film suffers with that. If you haven't got the backstory worked out, mm-hmm. if it's not appropriate to the character, it, it it can really jar. You know, it's it's um anyway. It it it, it we found 
when we do stuff for fashion designers, they have references from film all over the wall. That's their mood board. Yeah. And then when we do film work, they have fashion references all over the wall. Yeah, it's so funny. And we've seen our stuff both sides. We've been to July and seen the the bat suit up on the wall. (laughs) And then we obviously then Wonder Woman, there's all the period shield picture of the Givenchy couture. That's always been the touchstone for all of that stuff. The one that actually really got us though into Wonder Woman was... um, another designer called Alexander Byrne who's done her fair share of superhero stuff got us to do Eva Green's looks for the second 300 mm-hmm. movie and that was a lot of fun because they wanted it really quite fashiony, and th- those things really hold up on that level and this is what we like is when it's that ideal fusion between being a film costume and fashiony, which again takes you back to Paco Rabanne, yeah. Barbarella, etc. I mean, they were all they were. You could have, they were pretty credible catwalk pieces of those of any of any yeah. day, in my opinion, but of that day at the time, you know, and uh, especially for his catwalk, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, uh, it's um, it would be really interesting to work out. You know, I think people actually have him down as to having done all of it, which of course he didn't no. at all. You know, <laughs> especially since he recently died. They're posting pictures, and you're thinking it's the French guy. I forgot his name now. Who designed it? Who also did Moonraker? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, who's actually a bloody good designer? Because Moonraker's got some great ladies' costumes in it. Really good, you know. Oh, we always remember Gautier doing that. Uh, Fifth Element. Fifth Element. Did a fantastic that was, that was job. Absolutely genius job of Fifth Element. Mm-hmm. I wish he'd done more films. I mean, I'm sure he has done a few more. I know, but he did those Star Trek. You know, he? He, he did. He did that when they did Next Generation. He did the pilot, and he put all men in skirts. And things there were like some that. dresses they made. Yeah. Just the pilot. I, I don't know. I've never seen I think that. there's a few glimpses. We could, I'm sure we could find out on Google, but I think there's a few glimpses of these sort of. <laughs> <laughs> tunic dresses which you're not really sure it's quite short but it's just it, it looks like a long tunic and I think they've got I think they may, they may have bare legs or I don't no, know they've what... got suit legs but they've got skirts, oh I see skirts, like... oh, they're not that camp okay. <laughs> <laughs> they're very yeah. I don't know why they didn't keep them because they, they're totally credible it's all been it's all been a, it's all been a, I think the thing that the place we ended up in was that we we did we did Wonder Woman. Then we went straight on to Aquaman on the Gold Coast in Australia and gave that eight months. With these movies, you I mean, you just said you went to Australia. Do you always travel with them, or just when the bigger ones jobs? Only on the bigger ones. I mean, we've had some really amazing travel with films. Absolutely wonderful. Um, we spent over a year of our lives in Berlin doing films with the Wachowskis. We did Speed Racer and Jupiter Ascending and Cloud Atlas, which I'm, Cloud Atlas is the ones that I'm, I'm proudest of. It's a wonderful fun. film. Given and, the choice, uh, if we get to go abroad on the film then we will we did uh, six months in Budapest doing Aragon didn't we? yeah that was Aragon was a big breakthrough thing for us that was a fun job and I think the and, most um, I think the most tiring boring well, it wasn't fun it was a nightmare <laughs> film jobs have been when we've worked in the UK and we have to drive there every day you know mm. do yes. 12 hours work and then a bloody two and, hour yeah, drive yeah. home and, just like, yeah and though some of the studios are quite nearby you know London traffic and all the rest of it yeah. you know pre-Covid it was just yeah. could be bloody awful but anyway, that, that's, that's, that's the nature of the beast. But um, yeah, no, Aquaman was not a bad experience. And then we came back from that and had an exhibition, a, a retrospective exhibition of our output and took out time to create some new work for ourselves. We made sculptures, quite a lot of which are around us here. And that was a nice thing to do. And then sort of just kind of, by that time, Wonder Woman had sort of come out and... Um, 
we actually just rebuilt this place, the studio. We've been here for over 25 years. We rebuilt it entirely, put another floor on it. We knocked it, I mean, we went yeah, down I've, two metres and all the rest of it. I read know. some articles about, you know, yeah, this place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it a sound, fun... You know, that, that I mean... That it was sort of like a shed before, it almost. It really was, yeah, then, yeah, a really grotty shed. <laughs> we paid very little for it, and we did it up for £5,000, including rewiring and putting central heating in with my parents, because you could do all that in those days. You could mm-hmm. do your own wiring back then, in God knows when it was, I don't know when it was, 90... Oh, I don't know. Keir will tell you. It was a long... We've been here 26 years or something. So, um, so Wonder Woman came out, this place was finished... We actually just finished this when we got the Wonder Woman gig. It was really good. So it was all of a little bit of a bit of a relaunch for us. And it was quite kind of quite nice because that's when we started getting some press and people realising all the different things we'd done and no one had heard us, but nearly everyone had seen something we'd done, which is always the fun thing about us. I mean, I, I never meet anyone who hadn't seen Halle Berry's knife belt or the bat suit yeah. or something, you know. It's quite quite cool, really. But people started to work it out a bit. And we had the exhibition and then we really kind of gone on from there. And uh, it's it's gone back more into, I'm happy to say... Um, uh, well, fashion's very much come round to Fashion us. did finally come round to us, to the point where that we're getting kind of knocked off a lot. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, and I constantly being sent things people think look like things we've done or did you do this no we didn't but you know they've done it because we did pretty much uh sometimes and that's you know i think there's a time when we'd have found that quite upsetting but i don't now because it is a bit like imitations a sincerest form of flattery and i think the, the what i like to say and i think the, the truth of it is i think we both like this is that it's quite analogous of what's happening is that Sadly, I do kind of feel like we are somewhat living in the Hunger Games at the moment or some kind of strange dystopian futuristic world. I feel like we always were the right people to be dressing celebrities for that time, do you know what I mean? And it sort of happened. You know, it has actually finally happened where Met Gala, these mad high-octane things where people are required to actually arrive in something that's not digitally bloody rendered, that some very clever person's had to actually spend, God knows, you know, how long doing. And that's that's one of the... Also, there's such a high regard now for dressing up. It used to be something that only maybe nightclub people did, or you get the odd film that was very costume-orientated, but in in the street, you know, people didn't dress up... Um, People had fancy dress parties, but they were quite rare, and it's become a much more acceptable thing. So it's certainly become a more acceptable celebrity thing. And especially yeah. in America, and, you know, things like Halloween, like this, our Untitled, they sell an enormous amount of stuff for Halloween. And Burning Man. And Burning Man. People, people, buy, people buy a lot of weird stuff for Burning Man, you know. Um, and these things have grown, so um, I think there's much more opportunity to make mad things. And the cosplay thing has, has just, you know rocketed really you know the number. yeah 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 no cosplay is 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 another big area of, of it and i think it, i think it's great that i mean much as i you know i i don't hate social media and i, I know we, we we've got a lot to be grateful of regarding it i mean we we don't have much of a presence on, on, on we only do instagram we don't have much of a presence on there but we're, we're lucky we've had some amazing things come out of it absolutely extraordinary and um, yeah, the, the, really the Louboutin thing came out of it entirely, which, you know, to be fair, the, the girl at Louboutin, who's a creative director there, she um, was aware of us from, 
she, she, she was interned at McQueen when we were working with McQueen. And so she knew who we were from old days, really. But I think she was able to show yeah. Christian what we were up to and go, oh, look at this, look at this, look at this stuff with Andrew Jones. And, you know, just eat really easy. And it, 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 it's incredibly potent in that way. You know, it's how we know you. <laughs> uh, you know, so... It's great. You can show, like, 35 years' work in, you know... Yeah. In a few yeah. swipes, really, kind uh, and, and back in the day, when we did our... We did one show uh, as part of Fashion Week in London a long time ago, and it went really well for us, but we favoured all our friends out. We ended up making quite a lot of money. It was well-received, but... It, Literally, you know, there was a few pictures this big in the newspaper the next day. And you were lucky to get those. And if you didn't get those, you got absolutely nothing back then. There was no internet or any other way to expose what you'd done. It was even pre-fashion TV, so you couldn't even run it on television. No, I mean, all we had was the thing called The Clothes Show. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. They profiled us, actually. There's an hilarious thing they did. Quite a big profile on us. And better still yet... When, which kind of Lee was pretty upset about, but when they when the Givenchy show happened, after the show they only they only spoke to us and Philip Tracy, and I think he was getting pissed or buggered off and didn't get to talk to them. So we had this wonderful Kim, me going, oh, he's brought London to Paris, and da, 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 everyone saw it. So I mean, yeah, we, we we did all right for that, but the, the point being that. You know, these days, if you've got something, you're making something, you're doing mm-hmm. like what we're doing, you're an artist and you're a craftsperson with some ideas, you can get stuff out there. You know, it does really represent an opportunity to, to do that. And it, it's extraordinary how well people are doing from it. You can see, you know, it's really, really well, good. You can reach the whole world. You can, you know, and if it's good and people like it, they'll find book. it. You can yeah. do anything, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's true. It's you know, when I go back to thinking, us trying to make our first logos and things like that and cutting things out and, you know, working with letter sets just yeah, to do, like, yeah, brochures. Yeah, You know, <laughs> we did do little shows at home making our own brochures and things like that. You know, it's so labour-intensive. But it is interesting how, I think, you know, with these sort of AI art programmes and AI, God knows, AI writing yeah. and AI... AI music composing, it's a it's terrifying, but b I think it makes people you know that, that all of it does seem to make people appreciate even more real skill or uh, or the real deal or more aware of it and it is interesting. I think it's too age. I think it diminishes in some people's eyes. It diminishes possibly the, the real talent. Yeah, possibly, but I think other people's. I think I think they're more the more people are under yeah. the spell. You know. <laughs> Yeah, but what I like about it, I mean, and, and it's interesting to see the way it's actually working for us now and the way that we've continued to survive the last few years is by people actually having to make appearances in person, mm-hmm. performing, wearing something. And with the history that we've got with the film costumes, which is entirely workwear, as Kira always says, it's workwear. I mean, we have to make stuff that really gets punished, you know, and understand how people are going to move in it and be comfortable and yet it's still got to look good and da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. It, it, it does enable you to take that on board. And um, and I think that's what people are paying for because, you know, this is where the revenue is for musicians now. It's not a, whatever the Spotify plays and things like that. It's actually selling tickets to gigs, which, as we all know, are fairly expensive now. Mm-hmm. But fans set huge store by it. And I think they know they've got to deliver quite a lot these artists, you know, uh, visually as well. Yeah. So it's um, very competitive. It's, it's very competitive amongst them. But uh, we've been asked to do a lot of people who we haven't done in the last few years. Um, 
especially coming out of America and female rap artists and, you know, all, all the big names have, have asked, you know, they come in with absolutely insane, like, you know, we want this in Berlin in two weeks. It's like, uh, no, it's not, <laughs> it's not possible, you know. I mean, we can, you know, we can tell. How, yeah. How long does this piece take? About a month, really. About, about a month, really, yeah, 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 yeah. To be comfortable with. Yeah, I mean, yeah. With getting designs together and getting approvals and all that preamble, which always takes forever. Yeah, that's a comfortable time. Yeah. Yeah. We really get it. It's more like we've got ourselves into a situation now where we're pretty much ready to go with things. Um, what's been interesting, though, is, of course, is the way women's bodies are changing or, or what's acceptable, what people are interested in looking like is completely changed from, I want to say, like the 60s, yeah. 70s conception. You know, it's all about booties and breasts and, you know, and I get that. And That's you know, It's been a constant change. But... Of course, but there's a huge focus on this now in certain uh, areas, yeah. certain, you know, genres of music and what have you. And it's a, it's a, it's a thing. So we are having to adapt you know, there's a block. Well, that's good in some ways because it's much more acceptable to Well, me. yes, it, it, it's more body positive and inclusive and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, and we're, and we're behind it. And I mean, and we've done it before. I mean, it's not it's like... If someone know. comes to you that has, say, a different, a different body than you've worked for before, mm. do you have to get like a scan of their body and do... Well, that's the, I, that, would be, that would be the ideal way of yeah. doing it. And that's what we do for a movie situation. And actually, luckily, fortunately, a lot of these pop people are actually getting at that towards that position now and um it's brilliant because you can actually have the data sent over mm-hmm. and then have it milled out locally but we we don't ever just accept that because the skill lies with us in knowing how much we can push in and push out yeah. we turn the body scan into a sculpt into a sculpt and yeah. no one i mean we've had the most beautiful people in the world scanned and they're so asymmetric you know but i'm happy to say that our library of scans is based on uh channing tatum and halle berry we you know i mean we've adapted eva green you know we've done quite well with keeping not the data but the the things and then we change them adapt them chop them up and put together with other people and all the rest mm-hmm. of it. But but yes, I mean, if a client comes in now, no, we can't cover that. If they have the time, and that's where the problem always is, they generally don't. I mean, there's a job looming just today that's an interesting example where, fortunately, she does fall very squarely within what we know is in the range of our stands. Mm. You could just tell... No, I wish we had a bigger bit. range of stands. And it's uh, quite a... a uh, a long road to originate a stand. It is, it is. It we really haven't really is. made anything for ourselves much since that piece, which was three years ago. We've just finished one just, upstairs. We're just starting one now. But well, over, the, over the last year, on the side, we've been doing two new forms, so they're ready to go. Yeah. So we're just doing yeah. that now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we'd love a bootalicious one. You know? Yeah, that's that's the one that's that's the one that's due. That's the fading because that's the one know, that's we due. We've been asked quite a lot. We, we've we've actually, and the nice thing is that people that have been asked, we mostly get measures for all the artists from them, and it's actually quite interesting how they all they do actually fall within a quite a comparable range. It's been quite actually quite edifying and going, oh my goodness, actually this can work because it's just understanding what it's got to be as mm-hmm. a range, you know, between that and that, you know, and. Um, 
I mean, Megan the Stallion was a, was was a wonderful. I mean, what was lovely about Megan is that actually she's out there. I can show you before you go. She's just the, 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 that's squarely based on our main Amazon mm. armor block. And of course, we're able to go back to her and say we're we're using the Amazon armor block from Wonder Woman. And she's like, wow, you know? <laughs> and it's nice that they but people want that, you know. And, Tuvalu, who we've done quite a lot of stuff with, or Tovlo, some people call her, who's who's a, who's a delight and sort of not quite a friend, but she's she's been very very nice to do things with. She 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 borrowed our phallus belt and bustier and um, uh, for a thing and, and and called it Wonder Woman Big Dick Energy, and I think she just. I'm not even sure she knew that we'd made the Wonder Woman costumes. I just think she could just she just made the connection for herself, you know, mm. which is really really nice. It's very nice to have been involved with as many different. I think what we've realised of pop culture that we have, you know. I think what we realised through social media is it's actually all about the image, really. And why why we like to make our own things is that we can then lend them out, and they can get styled and photographed by other people. And yeah, an, and an image comes back, and that's that is the bit that's just yeah, like, like wow. That's the Doja Cat one, that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we made that years before. I mean, but to be honest, the stylist tried to make it seem as if it'd been made for the shoot, which was slightly pissing off, and they had a hat made to go with it. But, however, we made it years before they borrowed it for the shoot, and yes, it will Probably always be it, it will photos, always be that that which, you know, fabulous photo, and it, you know, and it was the Pierre Gilles, the Herberts. We've had this uh, Helmut Newton's done one, um, Testino. I don't know, Ralph Peru did the Marilyn Manson one. So I mean, but. They are the, they are our trophies. They're the, they're the things that we they're, they're the things that we set the most importance by because we love the things to be we love the things to, we've, we've always been very obsessed about how the things look off the body. And actually, I, my mother and I went to see the S.E. Malarkey Body Works show mm-hmm. in about eighty, I think it was eighty five or six. It was in London. Wonderful, the V&A, absolutely wonderful, extraordinary installation. Uh, Miyaki did, and. And I knew I was aware of the fiberglass bustier and I knew the books and things through, through, through Liz Collins. I, I always said a lot of story about things looking good off the body and wanting them to be as good off the body as on, you know. But um, when they go on someone and it works, it's just like that's another whole doubling up more. You know, that is just, that's real magic, you know. And, and I, uh, it's still so exciting. You know, to see that. I mean, that one's that one's never been on anyone. That's amazing. I keep looking at it because it's right behind you, so it's like it's, it's never, so it's never, beautiful. It's and never, it's amazing. Yeah, it fit you like a glove. You try your, <laughs> what you get. No, I mean, but, uh, no. This moment will come. You know, that was a bit, that's a bit of a nutty one, to be honest. But it, it, it's just it, it is fun, such fun to see things on people. It really is. It's a great great delight. You know, we, especially as we because we don't do collections, we don't do like the full look anymore. Yeah. You know, we don't do skirts and all that sort of. Thing. And we 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 so, we, we eschewed, you so know, it's left to you. You have to wear something with it. Which yeah, is incredibly bright. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's it's fun to see what people choose to style stuff with, and we've had you know we have people to put things over shirts and trousers and under jackets, and it can look amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all that. Well, I hadn't thought of that, and you know, um, I, I love all that. It's that's fantastic, and we. You know, it is fun to do top to toe. We have done it, okay, of course you do it for films and things like that. But um, being involved with stylists and people that do stuff like that, you know, what what Ibe Kamara and Raphael Pavarotti did for Italian Vogue about a year ago, we did sort of pages in Italian Vogue that 
our stuff was featured, but it was we, it was quite hidden, quite mm-hmm. hidden. If you of the pictures, one of them it was wasn't at all. But it was such a wonderful story, and we're so proud because the main thing that wasn't hidden at all was a silver bustier that we made fifteen years ago, twelve years ago, and I'm so happy that you could. You know, we, we, we totally issued this uh, cyclical, seasonal thing. I, I mean, I always kind of slightly... I've hated the idea that one season someone will be going, OK, this season it's black, this season it's psychedelic. And you're yeah. like, well, where's your integrity? You know, what do you actually believe in? I mean, all the good designers transcend that, the ones we've been talking about, the Miyakis and, you know... Yeah. Uh, Sal Rocker produced hugely different correct collections throughout the 60s and 70s, but it was always amazing. And there's always that kind of that, that it was Sal Rocker, mm-hmm. you know, you got it, you know. And the best people do that. But, you know, because we're fairly high octane and we're sort of we're oddball, I, I just felt like, I mean, that's why Packer was such an influence. Because it's not that we want to make chain mold dresses, we've never made anything really, really like Packer about much at all. But it's that he did what he did consistently for forever. Like Koresh. Yeah, well, yes, except Koresh wasn't as consistent as Packer about or us. Packer's the only one, Packer's the nearest to us in absolute consistency. He has to be, he has to be. And if you want to say it's body sculpture, if you want to say it was good off the body, and if you want to say it's one sort of discipline that's thoroughly explored over a whole career, he's the only other one, you know, without veering into, you know, I'm sure just didn't people. make a fortune out of fragrances like <laughs> <laughs> Um, what's it been like living and working together for 37, 6, 7 years? Hell! I don't know. miming, throttling me up for the, for the listeners. Uh, we, we still, we, we bicker every day. We bicker a lot. Let's <laughs> be honest. But it's mostly over work. Um, we, of course, both know the exact perfect way to do everything. And there's no perfect way of doing every, anything. It's just the way you want to do it. So that's the bone of contention. I want to do it this way. He wants to do it that way. And they're marginal differences. We're talking about splitting hairs anyway, because we know exactly what we're doing after all this time. And Christ, we should be good at it after all this time. I mean, that's the thing. People say, well, your work's so amazing, so amazing. I said, we spent ages doing it. We've been doing it a really long time. So it'd, be, it'd be pretty awful if it didn't look good by now. But, yeah, it is... I think... Basically, we spend more more of our life together than we have separately. Um, you know, we met when we were twenty one. We're fifty eight now, nearly fifty eight. We were fortunate enough to be very different people. But That's true. We like the same things yeah. quite a lot. Which, for a long term relationship, I can tell anyone is I think the it's the only bit of advice I've got to be wanting to find a long term partner, find someone who not like you who likes the same things as you, but who's quite different from you. Mm-hmm. And then you've got quite a good chance of some longevity, you know? Um, that's the only bit of advice you've got on that, really. But, uh, you know, no one person could can fulfil everything in your life. So you have to be generous with your uh, partner. You know, they have to... You know, if, you go to a, if we go to a party, we very rarely spend the whole time together, you know. Yeah, we just like, right, you go over there, we go over there, you know. We don't, we just do it automatically, you know. Um, you know, you swap stories, you know. Uh, because we spend so much time together, I think that's what, what charmed us into the film business is that we could go to work, and we could meet other people. And that is a lovely bit of all that, that yeah. sort of family you get on a show. It's mm. true. And that's why it's nice to do... You're in know. it together. Uh, very much, you know, our experience of, of famous people was very much pop work for a long time and they are the complete and utter focus you know it's all about them 
and they become very selfish, I think, as a result. But when we got into films, like it, it's a group thing, you know. Even if you're an actor, you're the lead actor. It's still an yes, and everyone's got an opinion, including the producer's wife, you know. Yes. <laughs> and you don't get that with the bloody sets, I might tell you. I mean, I've heard one no, story. But everything's um, you know committee, you know, oh, yeah. orientated. Yeah, really. yeah. And if it's a superhero thing, it's come from some comic book someone drew in nineteen thirty something originally. You know, it's all you've got. To, it's just like so many. It's designed by committee, really. You know, it has to be. We, I think we, the good thing about getting older is you become more accepting of yourself and people around you. And I think we are looking for the humanity in life, really. You know. I think when you're younger, you're more ambitious, you're more insecure, and you may make choices or do things that don't make you feel particularly good. But I think as you get older, you can say, no, I'm going to make the right choice for my... Well, the benefit of experience and stuff. I think the only frustration that comes with that in the work, in the, in the practice that we have, is that we know how to get there, and then the inevitable things happen, where things go slightly wrong with what you're doing, because there's quite a lot of random stuff still with what we do, and we rarely trash anything because we break it down and do it so methodically. But it's just frustrations, guys, are just... You know, no, you ain't got to do it. And then some shit thing happens in the yeah. studio and, you know, and you get cranky about it. And, it, 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 you know, and, that, and also, actually, frankly, as you get older, sort of eyesight and other, you know, slightly things like that, you know. Um, but, you know, it is what it is, really. And I, I, we, we, that's why we call ourselves pop artisans now, because I think it's for other people to judge whether we're actual artists or artisans. And uh, the pop bit is obviously our sort of meddling with all with pop culture in general, you know, mm-hmm. which is which is which, that's been such a fun thing to do, you know. I mean, it's, it's it's the world we grew out of, and you can imagine the influence, <coughs> how exotic. I'm sure you've heard before how to our generation, <coughs> sort of baby boomers or '60s kids, you know, seeing the banana splits, you know, in the early '70s or whenever it was, late '60s. Uh, on on and the Brady Bunch and all this sort of Americana and American pop culture just seems so exotic to us, you know, uh, and so uh, enthralling. And I, I, you know, Alan fell under the spell of that too, really, as well. I mean, it's quite a quite a post-war thing. I don't know. It's, it's fascinating, and it, it, it touches on so many things, you know. Especially, it does touch on superheroes. It, it does touch on art, and you know. I would like to mention that there was an underculture based on LSD at that time that I think is very simpatico with the mind of a child. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot, well, of, yeah. a lot of stuff that was aimed at children was very enthralling because it was so colourful and rhythmic. and Yes, and we had colour television, which was invented in our lifetimes, you know, was, was revolutionary, and we were getting these shows, you know, Sesame Street and all this stuff coming over, yeah. you know. British TV shows that encourage you to make things. Absolutely, shows. absolutely. No, absolutely. It was, uh, without sounding too nostalgic, it was, it was, a, it was a, a good period for that. And there was a lot of good free thinking about education, you know, I, I went to a, a comprehensive school, quite a rough school, actually, where I grew up. I wasn't a public school education at all, or a private education, neither of us had that. But there's still lots of interesting things going on education in those days. And, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was encouraged. It's true. It's true. Yeah, you could, quite a lot of money went into education at that point. Mm. And you were in, there was lots to do, lots of different, we did pottery and photography and... All sorts of... Well, they still... Yes, there still is. Yeah, but they're not... You know, they're all slimmed down into 
They just don't have the budgets. That well, have. yeah, that's another matter. I mean, you know, I got a grant to go to St Martin's and I was pretty squarely middle class and I got some money from the government mm-hmm. to go to college. And it was free. I got, I got, I got the place. You know, absolutely crazy. I mean, you just can't imagine that at all. Totally different now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's a bit depressing when you get involved with education now. It's just the rich kids, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, so many of those like great British designers came out of the middle class, like Ozzy Clark and everyone. Yeah, yeah, but and so many of them came out of no money at all, like yeah. Galliano McQueen. Mm-hmm. McQueen's father was a cab driver, and Galliano, I don't know who what his father was, but he didn't come from any money at all, yeah. you know, and. Jeff Banks was a, a Bernardo's boy, and you know, I don't know. It's, it's just a really different setup. I mean, it, it is, it is, it is a bit. Um, that is that, that that's worrying, you know. But then, you know, it's nice to think of the kids that have kind of kind of coming from not so much, getting some breaks maybe on Instagram. People liking what they make, and suddenly, you know, I don't know what. But it, it isn't the whole story, luckily, and I, 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 I'm not so sure that. We were very lucky because in the UK you can set up a business and just say, oh, I'm a business. And, yeah. you know, you don't have to pay anyone anything or or, or pre- do a whole lot of um, paperwork. And That's admin. true. Whereas in, you know... In, it's in Europe and Italy and France, it's really hard just to set up a small business and say, well, this is what I'm doing. I mean, whereas yeah. here it's always been very encouraged and, you know... But now with the internet and stuff, people can do that anywhere in the world. You know? Yeah, and I, I don't, and I don't think, I don't think, um, I think that if, I think you can educate yourself wonderfully via the internet if you know what you're looking for, you know what to do. You know, and there's so many people that are brilliant, never went to art school or studied what to do, or they studied one thing and up doing another. It's you know, it's, it's not the whole story. Amazing. Thanks again for listening to this conversation with Patrick Whitaker and Kier Malum. On the website, I've put together a slideshow of images, lots of movie clips, and a short bio. Coming up, I have some great conversation with artists, actors, designers, and more. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode. All episode materials are available at sizewhispers.com. <laughs>